Let me, let me double check the name of the first one actually here, since we're... No, the first one was just called Summer 20, 2019. That's exciting. What old, what old good time Summer 2019 was. We didn't know what was in store for us. <laughs> we didn't know. We had no clue. <laughs> Poor young bastards. <laughs> going to become men over the course of the next six months. <laughs> Welcome to Active Discourse, a multi-platform technology podcast. I'm Bo, and I'm here to use games and play phones. And I'm Brett, and I'm never going to find the perfect router. I didn't know that was a problem anyone had, but Active Discourse <laughs> is now never longer than 45 minutes, so let's get rolling. Uh, before we start, let's note that we have officially been podcasting this show, Active Discourse, for one year. I should have got a cake. That would have been fun. Um, maybe next year. Uh, uh, we'll we'll eat a podcast uh, cake next year, maybe when we can see each other again. But yes, uh, <laughs> <laughs> active discourse celebrated its first first birthday on the twenty second, and we just you know we didn't want to roll right on by it without mentioning it. So it's it's uh, it's exciting. One year Super of podcasting. Cool. Congratulations. Congrats to us both. Next point of follow up. By the way, I want to mention that Infinity Train. Wow, what an awesome recommendation. Right. Um my god, that is such an easy show to watch. So, first and foremost, it's like they're 10 minutes long and that didn't really sink into me when you were talking about it last time. Um I just didn't really the concept didn't really make sense to me because 10 minute long episodes. Come on, who's who's ever seen a 10 minute long episode? <laughs> I've watched YouTube episodes that are longer than that. Um but whatever. Um the characters are so well thought out in the world. It's just full of infinite possibilities i mean infinity train you, i guess that makes sense but still wow the characters yeah. are so rich mm -hmm. oh what a great show yeah it was super cool i was i was and like i said when i mentioned it it was kind of a bummer that it was so short but at the same time it's you know you can cruise through it and just take it all in yep. and uh it sounds like you did that not just once but twice but twice and, and i'm gonna do it again and maybe yeah. three i will do it future. again absolutely i just <laughs> Yeah, like I, I um I, I'm fine, but I got sick a couple weeks ago and uh we finished Infinity Train the week prior to me getting sick and I was laying on the couch and I'm like, I'm just gonna watch the whole thing again. <laughs> and so over the course of a weekend, it's not hard to do. One season's ninety minutes long. Yeah. So <laughs> the whole thing is a full length movie, so that's pretty cool. Right. Right. So I watched two Two movies of Infinity Train. By the way, fun fact, um, uh, book three is coming out in August. I think it's August 13th or something along those lines. So very soon. Sweet. Uh -huh. I wonder if that's going to hit hope. something like HBO Max quickly or if HBO it's, Max. it's going to be on there August 13th. It's it's HBO Max August 13th. I have no idea whether or not it's going to be, you know, uh, one a week or which would be stupid. Um, but or if they're just going to launch them all at once. Can you imagine waiting week to week for 10 minutes of playtime? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I guess you do it for YouTube, but still <laughs> like uh, HBO Max. I expect more out of them and I hope that they just launch it all at once. So yeah, we'll see. <laughs> so moving on from Infinity Train. We've got um, we've got some things that uh, it sounds like you've got some frustration with. <laughs> and I have two points of frustration. Yes. Uh, do I have three? No, I only have two. I only have two points of frustration today. Uh, two, two with a very large asterisk that both of them might turn into something much bigger. But anyway, so um, let's talk about the first one, which is 
I have envisioned how exactly we talk about uh, the game consoles on this show. I've envisioned how we do this all year long. Um, we've known for a long time that a next generation of consoles is coming out, and I I wanted to talk about them with as little rumors as possible. Um, and someday we will talk in depth about our opinions about the next generation of game consoles. But this whole reveal process that both Sony and Microsoft have been taking has really, really pissed me off. It's honest to God feeling like an information cold war between the two. And they are playing the news cycle in a way that is so 2020 where everyone just says just enough to get a nice catchy headline and then nothing else substantial after that just play the headlines because no one reads anything anymore and sorry i'm being very dramatic here i know there's a lot of gray here but fact of the matter is they're playing the headlines and this is fine for their business because this gets people interested and it continues making the conversation longer but it is annoying to follow it's so annoying to follow because if you get caught up in the catchy headlines you can get lost in what's real and what's not and and so the thing is when we talk about the next generation of consoles i want to do a good job at it because there's a lot of good stuff that is coming in this next generation of consoles i want to talk about all the complications that are involved in what's coming up and i don't and we're nearly there honestly um one big thing that's annoying me is that Microsoft has a theoretically a Series S to announce. It's basically ready to go. They just need to flip and tell us about it. We need to see pricing from both of them. We don't have any idea how much it's going to cost. Uh, and then they need to talk about when it's going to be available. We don't have any idea cost availability. Microsoft hasn't told us all versions of it. At least my, at least Sony now has shown us what the freaking things look like and what both versions of them will be will be there on launch so anyway the the current approach is just it's trying to suck up as much air time as possible and i'm just right now refusing to play into that game um i want to talk about consoles again when pricing and launch plans are unveiled theoretically it shouldn't be long but i've been saying that all year like i swear to god in like may i was like yes they're gonna be ready in may and then they're like all right june they're gonna be ready in june and then at the end of june um the folks from Xbox are saying, oh, June's going to be a really, really big month for Xbox. And it it hasn't been. They really they talked about some really interesting games last week, but that's all they did this month. So <sighs> I want to talk in depth in our conf- confirmed concrete opinions when we have all the facts and are ready to go for the next generation. That's what I want to talk about it. But I've been waiting for so long to do it. Yes, we we haven't been able to talk uh, holistically about the councils like we'd like to do uh, because we don't have all the information. Um, but I do want to diffuse a little bit of your frustration because I went through the timelines for the PlayStation 4 and the PlayStation 5 and for... Uh, kind of a, a bit to a smaller extent, the, the Xbox One and the Xbox Series X timelines. And so if you go through them, and especially if you look at the milestones, the PS4 and the PS5 aren't, aren't actually that far off in terms of when things were announced. So uh, 
in February 1st, 2013, Sony T's future of PlayStation event for February 20th. February 20th rolls around. Specs and details are revealed, but the council is not shown. June 10th, 2013, that's E3 2013, the council design is revealed with a price of $400, and then uh, some of their policies around DRM and used games and their upcoming game library. The release date is announced as holiday 2013. Uh, Later on in that year, August 20th, 2013 that's at gamescom the release date for the ps4 was announced as november 15th in north america uh, november 29th in europe and those dates held firm that's when it was released yeah the ps5 we had confirmation that the successor to the ps4 was going to be called playstation 5 in april of 2019 and that the release was going to be no earlier than April 2020. In October 2019, Sony stated intent to ship by the end of 2020, so that gives us basically the holiday 2020 release window again. And they released the hardware specs. So that's when we started to learn about the SSD, the hardware accelerated ray tracing, all of this stuff that Sony... Uh, in the next couple of months at, following October 2019 would start to do deep dives uh, like at um, GDC. In January 2020, at CES, we all remember this one where Sony just basically showed up and said, this is the logo for the PS5 and not much else because yeah. they, they didn't really promise anything else. Um, somewhere in the next few months, the release date window becomes holiday 2020 kind of officially, uh, but we don't have anything more specific yet. June 11th, 2020. Now, this is, this is the real milestone we should be looking at. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The game library showcase and the council design is revealed along with a bunch of other hardware like the controller, the media remote, the headsets. That's If, if you look at the dates, the only thing that's missing between June 10th, 2013 for the PS4 and June 11th, 2020 for the PS5 is the price. Right. Everything else pretty much lines up. That's it's like a day separate in the year uh for when we see the council in full and see a bunch of games. So I would expect based on this sometime in August, probably toward the very end because I think uh Gamescom is on August 30th. I don't think Sony's present there. They're probably going to have their own event, but they're I fully expect them to have a release date announcement toward the end of August and then a PS5 release in November or December, which lines up very closely with the PS4. So real quick, though, here, by the way, um, your timeline for the PS4, I'm going to say starts in 2013 because you have in there for 2012 rumors begin for the successor of the PS3. but really, uh, your your timeline there starts February 1st, 2013, which is Sony teases the future for the PlayStation event for February 20th. Mm-hmm. So that's 2013. And the PS4 was announced in February of 2013 and was released by November of 2013. Whereas Sony, with the PlayStation 5, did they announce the PlayStation 5 in April 
2019. No. That's what it looks like on the timeline. At that time, they basically came out and said there will be a PlayStation 5 and it will be called PlayStation 5. Right. There was hardly any details at that point. I think they they may have started uh, between April and October to talk about some of the hardware. I, I think, honestly, if you look at the timelines I have here for the Xbox Series X, because the Series X, they they teased the successor to the Xbox One as Project Scarlet in June 2019. And then they fully revealed it and announced it December 13th, 2019. And I think Sony's uh, October 2019 um, kind of rollout for full hardware specs was because Microsoft was pretty early in terms of getting all that information out there. Uh, The April timeline is very early. They they didn't have anything confirmed for hardware or, or anything. It was just basically stating the obvious. Yes, there's a PlayStation 5 and that's what it's called. And the the other thing is, you know, as soon as they announce that, basically, that's when um, official slash unofficial press releases start getting launched over the course of the whole of 2019. And, you know, little things start to trickle out and whatnot over the course of 2019. And then eventually, um, and they release the hardware specs in 2019, uh, October 2019. And so that's still a whole year in advance of when the freaking thing launches. Um, whereas I don't know, the PlayStation four was compact. It was all with, it was within 10 months, within 10 months that they announced it and released the freaking thing. I, I think that's just because the, the PS five is such a significant up, upgrade over the PS four and, and not even just in sheer power, but like breadth of capabilities. So the SSD, the GPU, the ray tracing, all of those individually, those are, those are super great features and big upgrades kind of over the hard drive era of the PS4. But when you put them together, I'm hoping that they combine in ways that will be completely transformative for games because the the whole interface is going to be faster. They, they have a goal of booting a game, booting from off to a game in like a second and just loading times within games to be almost obliterated so much faster movement speeds in games that just wouldn't have been possible because of um, uh, draw distances and things like that. Um, it, it's going to, I think it's those, all those things together are going to change games in such a way that they have to have more lead time to create uh, an error around them for not just developers who have dev kits early, but for indie developers who haven't started yet. Um, mm-hmm. or just for people to wrap their head around what these technologies do. Because I honestly think yeah. this generation already looks more promising for games than the PS4 did at its own release. Like the the There's huge games already announced and being developed where the PS5 is the primary, if not sole target for development. Yeah. My hope is that you're right, that... Um on launch or within months of launch that we do have some really great games that are taking advantage of the new hardware that's going to come through both Microsoft and Sony. Now, historically, you know, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, and probably even going back further than that, honestly, um, 
it was pretty much a, a known fact that you can be there day one to see what the future is and you're an early adopter in that instance. But it was kind of common knowledge as well that games don't really start taking advantage of all of the hardware that's available in the new generation until like two or three years later because it's just easier to develop for a console that exists in the public than it is before Mm -hmm. it exists in the public. And so my hope with this really long lead time, like uh, in what you're mentioning, getting the public on board, getting the developers on board to make sure that they're ready for all this. I hope that they're successful with that so that that stigma is possibly changed that, you know, day one, you do get some maybe more games than ever on day one that take advantage of all the hardware. And it's not just a flat port. Like I specifically remember, uh, Assassin's Creed Black Flag between Xbox 360 and Xbox One. And the game looked prettier on the Xbox One, but overall it was roughly the same. Um, I'm glad that they were able to get it onto the 360, but, um, you know, it's better on the Xbox One, but it was totally fine on the Xbox 360 as well, though, too. So I, I hope that that actually happens. But history just hasn't worked with that and honest to god i might actually looking at your timeline here this is actually really great to see this timeline here um looking at your timeline and we haven't even talked about the xbox part of it yet but really it does look like xbox microsoft kind of messed with sony's plans i think by talking about scarlet soon yeah or at least influenced it right and and that's that's kind of just what happens when you're not in an absolute dominant point of power um it, i think it's a foregone conclusion that the xbox one isn't doing great this generation so you know more power to microsoft to basically say next on to the next let's go so but i, I think microsoft the xbox series x is going to have a lot of the same benefits as the ps5 in terms of of speed and processing power and i i think we're gonna get a lot of the same great new game development benefits uh, on both platforms, but I, I don't know. It's I. It feels like the PS5 might have a slight advantage, at least in terms of messaging. Yeah. I and I really do want to talk about the difference in approach that the two are taking because I think they're using roughly a similar processor, roughly a similar graphics card, um, but they're taking a different approach to how exactly they tune them. Um, so I, I do want to talk a little bit yeah, more. And about a lot that of that's and, gonna show yeah. up in hindsight. I don't know how much we'll know. You know, also we could true, speculate right. to infinity train and beyond, mm-hmm. and we're never hey. gonna, <laughs> we're yeah. never gonna know until they both get released, and maybe even they've been out for a couple of years, and we can actually see how they perform and what impact the consoles themselves have versus the developers using it, because yeah. uh, it, the PS3 was notorious for being difficult to develop for, and yet. By the end of its lifetime, some of the best games ever, arguably, were on the PS3 just because of the developers developing for it. Because Naughty Dog was uh, just basically all in on Last of Us and saying, yeah, we can make a hell of a game. So a lot of it is up to the councils, but a lot of it's also up to the developers who are exposed to the technology in them and who have uh, the the know-how to be able to put them to use. So we're not going to know any of that 
until the consoles have already been out. So right. it's fully possible that Xbox this generation turns out to be the platform where developers congregate and say, yeah. we're making the best games out there right now. Yeah, we'll see. see. I mean, it's hard to, hard to tell. Um, I think I, I have a different opinion. I think that um, Xbox is going to probably uh, garner folks who look for value and PlayStation is going to garner people who look for performance. Um but I and that's going to only be further informed by if uh, the Series S exists. So um, you know if that does exist and the price is kind of what some of the rumors are saying, I look forward to talking about that again when it is confirmed to exist um, or not. Because if they announce the release date of the Xbox Series S X um, and a price and say that's that go ahead go buy it go pre-order that means that it's not coming out on launch so um that will change my opinion on the matter so i think that we should talk about that again when they actually talk about price and the day that it's available we're going to table this discussion we're going to come back to it in once probably again. <laughs> september maybe um i I mean, I'm going to continue to hope every single month that that's the month. So I'm hoping August, <laughs> but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we, we expect we'll release dates uh, to start coming out this late summer, early fall. So August, September, and then releases obviously are going to happen uh, if if they stay as planned in uh, November or December. So yep. um, we'll see how that rolls out. In the meantime, we've got non-council things to discuss yeah. And I think this is another point of frustration for you. Is that correct? Yeah. Is that a fair statement? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, so I'm going to start this with a leading question. So we're still in follow-up, and we might only stay in follow-up this whole episode today, but that's okay because uh, there's a lot of follow-up. Interesting. <laughs> um, so leading question. First of all, when was the last time you replaced your router? I've had this one for several years. Okay. Is it, I'm, I'm assuming it's AC, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you're in an apartment, so, um, you don't need tri-band. You don't need a mesh network. One router in the middle of your apartment should be fine. Um, what do you think you're going to be looking for in your next router? I, I suppose it depends because I haven't, I haven't invested in smart lighting or really any smart devices yet. Um, and I'm assuming that if I do, I would want a router with a lot of bandwidth for those types of things. Uh, and obviously there's different types. Like if we're talking about light bulbs, there's different types. Some of them are on your Wi-Fi. Some of them have their own, uh, protocol. Uh, if I was going to have stuff that was like a lot of devices now loading up onto the Wi-Fi, I'm assuming I'd want to get a router that's better suited to that until then basically just uh, a few ports for connectivity right next to it, like my console and desktop in the office, and then um, enough range to cover the apartment for now. I, I don't know. That's, I'm hoping you can <laughs> can expose me to what why the router... Because to me, the router has been... It hasn't been really a focus. It's been... It's just been a gateway to the rest of the things that I do. Sounds like it's a utility for you. Right. Nice. I'm jealous. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
first and foremost to give you insight into whenever you do decide to buy a router um i've found this out that um wi-fi 6 ultimately will be a godsend for uh, smart devices um and just devices in general because the way wi-fi 6 is built um it allows for signals to kind of be co-op together and all kind of go between each other and then send it all to the router in a more efficient way instead of all the devices trying to say router 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 like that's what wi-fi 5 is wi-fi 6 is a little bit more in an organized manner and there's some uh major optimizations for time of flight however that also only gets better when every single device on the network is wi-fi 6 so um two things Wi-Fi 6 is expensive right now. It is still a maturing uh, concept as well. Um, I think that I don't even. I think it's ratified, but I think there's still being improvements being made to Wi-Fi 6. So it's not a mature um, concept yet either. So Wi-Fi 6, I'm, I'm not investing in Wi-Fi 6 yet because with my luck, I'm going to have to upgrade my router in a couple years anyway. So I'm not going to spend an absolute premium on my routers right now, but I am going to spend a little bit of a premium to get ideally something good. So story time. Before we recorded last time, I got a new router setup. Um, I had the previous generation of the Google Wi-Fi box. It's not the Nest Wi-Fi. It's the Google Wi-Fi box, a small little white box. And it was fine. I actually quite liked it a lot. Um, But recently I was running into issues where I'd be watching just TV on the Apple TV and internet would just randomly just die and it was perplexing it was really perplexing but also what was scary was that i've seen this before um so first and foremost i want to mention the apple tv is not necessarily an angel in this situation Uh, but with enough trial and error i'm coming to the impression that it is related to signal strength the google wi-fi box is up in the master bedroom because that's closest to the garage and because it's closest to the garage that means it works for the garage door and the garage door is really picky so it has to you know the garage door tells me where i put my wi-fi box um and so it's furthest away from the tv which is a damn shame but that's the way it does um but the apple tv isn't necessarily an angel however i can also tell whenever i'm downstairs uh phones don't run as quickly downstairs as they do upstairs Um, when I use my work laptop downstairs, it has to have a constant VPN connection. And if that VPN connection isn't rock solid, I get issues on my work laptop. So there's enough in there that makes me believe that it's signal strength. And one thing I do want to mention, obviously, is why Google Wi-Fi is a mesh network system. I could have gotten another node and extended my network out from my master bedroom down to my living room and that could have happened however this isn't my first google wi-fi experience actually um i had the previous generation of the google wi-fi boxes Uh, i had uh two iterations of the google on hub devices i had two google on hub devices fail within three years uh fortunately the first one was replaced within a year uh and that's the year return policy that google basically said nope that shouldn't have broke uh we're gonna give you a new one and then they got me a new one and then that worked over the course of about a year and a half and then that died and a lot of the same symptoms that i'm seeing today with my apple tv were similar to what i saw with the google wi-fi uh with the google on hub devices the previous generation where 
it worked great for like six months to a year or so, but then all of a sudden just internet connection would just die. It would kill during the middle of doing something and there's no rhyme or reason. And for whatever reason, restarting the Google Wi-Fi box sometimes works, sometimes didn't didn't work. Sometimes resetting the Apple TV would work. Sometimes resetting the phone would work. But it it was just inconsistent. And it's the reason why I got a Google Wi-Fi box almost two years ago. The Google Wi-Fi box has done better than the OnHubs. But I'm starting to see now a few things that make me nervous that maybe the Google Wi-Fi box is going to do the exact same thing that I saw with the Google OnHub from the previous generation. You can only go through the same thing so many times until you give up. So I gave up. Rip Google. So initially I was very interested in the Linksys Velop. My parents have a Linksys Velop. They they like it a lot. Um, And However, last minute, uh, I read a few articles and a variety of reviews indicated that the Netgear Orbi was the better choice for speed and possibly better for stability. So I was swayed and I decided to give the Orbi a shot. The experience has been fine. Um, I guess one downside there is the fact that generally routers are supposed to be absolutely perfect out of the box and eh, it's it's okay. (laughs) Um, and routers only get older as only get worse as they get older. So initial experience should be really good. And it's been okay. Um, a few good things. First and foremost, uh, the coverage is noticeably better around all my house, um, living room, kitchen, master bedroom, office, all, you know, townhouse. So not really too far away from each other, but everything works great. Doesn't matter where I'm standing in my house. Internet connection is fast. Uh, I can work from my living room now. The uh, VPN is absolutely rock solid. Everything's great. So that's, you know, that's good. Speed is fine. Um, it's also pretty cheap. $200 for three satellites. That's that's compared to $400 for three satellites with develop. So it's it's cheap. Um, some bad things, though. Uh, the, the web portal is dated. Uh, honestly, I think that this web portal is from 2007. I specifically remember using it uh, on my first router that I got in 2012. I thought it looked dated then. It's even more dated now. There's just a couple new icons on there, but otherwise it's still old and clunky. Um, The iOS app is actually seemingly just a coat of paint on top of that as well, just in the form of an iOS app. It's really not great. It gives you very little information. It doesn't really give you a ton of um, functionality. You have to log into the web portal in order to really do anything interesting. So, um, the Google Wi-Fi app is quite good. I, I miss it actually. So, you know, it's, it is what it is, but then there's the other thing that I'm, I'm kind of running into a lot more home kit issues, which is really, really scaring me. There's, there's a lot of different issues with the Orbi that just kind of made me feel like something wasn't right. Okay, before we dive into the HomeKit part of this, I think we, I think what the the difference is between how you have frustrations with your router and I've never cared about my router is that <laughs> you like to be like you like to system administrate your your home and all of your devices, yep. and I don't want to have to do that. <laughs> so you you like to manage all those things and. And I don't really get into the details of, of particular devices and things like that. So I, I think it's a difference in in um, things that we each want to do with our with our um, with our router in this particular case. So one big feature that I was really hoping to see 
on the either the Orbi app or even the Orbi portal was a feature that allowed you to see what devices are currently on your network, um, how fast are they going, and then can you do something with it. Um, the Google Wi-Fi app allows you to see what's on the network, but it didn't allow you necessarily to say, that device needs to stop. You can say other devices, I think it's like one other device, has priority over others, but you can't say this device must stop. And I was really hoping to have some granular control over you know, certain devices. So when we're podcasting together, I we frequently run into a situation where I, you can't hear me because my upload speed is terrible. And, you know, I have other devices on my network that's competing to upload stuff. I have OneDrive on almost all my devices. And so if if my wife's MacBook is going rogue and trying to upload everything like a monster, not realizing I only have 10 megabits per second up, it's terrible. I was really hoping to say, for now, my wife's MacBook can only upload at a certain rate and I need my Mac to have priority to upload so that you, Bo, can hear me. And uh, there's no such concept in Orbi. It's actually even worse than Google Wi-Fi because I can't see real-time stats uh, based off of devices on my network. I can see usage over the course of a day, over the course of a month. But what good is that if I'm trying to figure out what's going on right now? So I don't know. if you, Have you seen much issue with buffering at your house either, though? Not really. I th- I mean, every once in a while with, uh, but I, it's not something I ever noticed that's it's systemic. You know, it's never really a pattern. So nothing really in particular I can complain about. So keeping this in mind, active discourse is never, is now no longer than 45 minutes. I need to speed this up. <laughs> um, so keep rolling, rolling, rolling. Not all of this is Orby's fault. However, I did not have issues with HomeKit when I had Google Wi-Fi. I had issues with a few devices. The garage door opener specifically is a cheap-ass garage door opener that is a no-name brand from Best Buy. It's just basically a hacky system that connects to HomeKit, says, hey, I am a garage door. What do you want me to do? And I say, I want you to open and I want you to close. That is all I want you to do. Um, That box, because it's so cheap and whatever, is the problem child on my network. Everything else, specifically the hue bulbs, have been rock solid throughout all of the issues that I had with leading up into getting a new router. Philips Hue never had a problem. I could always turn on my lights. I could always turn off my lights. I could even use Siri to turn on my lights and turn them off. Um, for whatever reason on Thursday, now all of a sudden the Hue bulbs absolutely will not connect to the Orbi. And I don't know why. I have no idea why. And um, given the concept that there's a lot of features that I'm just not happy with on the Orbi, um, there has been a very slight connection issues that has scared me with the Orbi. It has kind of led me to believe that because the hue bulbs are so rock solid and I'm already not feeling great about the Orbi, I've returned it. Fortunately, I have a 30-day return period right within the return period. 
I'm bringing the Orby back and giving up on that. And I'm going to give Velop a shot next. I'm going to be super scrutinizing of the Velop to see whether or not that works. And if that doesn't work, I might give Euro a shot. If that doesn't work, I'm going right back to Google because maybe it wasn't Google. Yeah, I, I would be interested to see how this turns out too because I'm wondering if you live on a magnetic or a geothermal <laughs> hotspot or something. <laughs> maybe maybe I am the geothermal hotspot. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> you're, well, you're slowly becoming one, so... I had all the Google Home issue or the Google Wi-Fi issues at my at my last apartment. So, now what's the common common denominator here? <laughs> Let's work it out. Yes, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's scary. So, all this to say, it's been confusing. It's been frustrating. Um, I'm hoping that the Velop is better, but if it's not, then I'll just continue this train on until. I get a more acceptable level of internet connection and we'll go from there. So that's a developing story and we'll come back to <laughs> <Yeah>. that when <laughs> Brett finds another contender for a router that doesn't make his life terrible. <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm hopeful. So I guess that does it for us today uh, on our main topics. Um, we've got, a big event coming from Samsung uh, on August 5th where they'll be releasing a whole bunch of devices. They've got the Note 20, which is totally expected and not a surprise at all. Uh, what we don't know for sure is what kind of variants it will have, Plus and Ultra and all that. Uh, but aside from that, they've got the Galaxy Fold 2, a.k.a. the Galaxy Z Fold 2, the Galaxy Watch 3. Uh, what happened to 2, by the way? Uh, there was no Galaxy Watch 2. I don't know. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, Galaxy Tab S7, which possibly will have two variants. And the uh, Galaxy Buds Live, which uh, I don't know a whole lot about. So we'll see what exactly they decide to show off and and how great it really looks. I swear to God, if they call it the Galaxy Watch 3, that's going to be the most confusing confusing thing ever it might be because they had a galaxy watch active 2 huh? but not a galaxy watch 2 base model i don't know but then again they did skip a whole 10 numbers for the the true s yeah. series and the note so <laughs> they're they're not afraid of skipping yeah. numbers <laughs> so so yeah did they sorry real quick did they rename the galaxy fold to the galaxy yes z they are they're fold? consolidating all of their foldables under the galaxy z moniker yeah so they'll have the galaxy z fold and the galaxy z flip and whatever else they decide to fold in half it'd be cool if they called the, another one like the z map or something like that when it folds like twice or three times <laughs> if we ever have a device that folds into eight segments i don't know I don't know what I'm going to do with that. And real quick, are you considering any devices in this uh, world in which we don't completely know exactly what they'll have? Are you considering any of these? Uh, the watch would be cool if it had, uh, what's it called? MST, I think, where it can uh, simulate a credit card swipe. So it works on not just where Samsung Pay and everything does, or Google Pay, but it also works with traditional credit card swipers. That would be cool because uh, that's what my current one has. Uh, I don't need the tablet. 
the earbuds, eh. Uh, the Galaxy Z, I would be interested in looking at it, but I'm assuming it's going to be very expensive, so mm-hmm. probably not too interested in that. Uh, the Note 20, depending on the variants and, and features, is a possibility, but uh, not super likely. All depends on what they decide to show off. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to see, especially if they actually do have a hundred twenty hertz display on the inside. That's that'd be cool. So anyway, um we'll we'll recap that next time in August. So uh closing out the episode, picks, what do you got for this week? I just finished a game on my PlayStation four called The Outer Worlds. It's uh Fallout esque rpg by obsidian they're the developers that made uh the new vegas expansion for fallout uh three and um it's a it's a really well-written story it's got hilarious dialogue interesting companion characters fun quests it's not as dynamic as i would have liked like the world doesn't react kind of in real time to your major decisions necessarily um, but it does have some major decisions that do have an impact. There are some moral, moral choices, and, and it's just a really, really cool world. Um, and it's it is, it's Fallout-inspired, because Obsidian kind of came from that and evolved off their Fallout New Vegas expansion, so it's uh, uh, very similar. Um, I'd like to see more flexibility. It's a little on the rigid side in terms of characters and, and outcomes, uh, but side note, um, load times kind of suck. So okay. <laughs> the PlayStation yep. five, please. And thank you. Yep. Looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Load times, um, on a lot of the games that I'm trying on Xbox game pass are pretty terrible as well. But I mean, loading large textures like that, I guess is, that's just the name of the game. If you have a spinning hard drive, so Yeah. Fun. Um, my pick for this time around. Um, so a running theme on this show is my interest in app development and learning it um, outside of college. So I've tried a lot of different uh, options. There's a ton of free services out there that you can get free uh, learning from. And one really great one so far that I found is one from Stanford University, um, the Stanford University in California. Um, they what they do is very interesting. They every single semester they take their um, CS one ninety three P class, which is an introduction level uh, class to iOS app development, and they make it free uh, to the public. They post every lecture to YouTube, and then they have a host site where you can go download the slides from the lecture and download the homework. Uh, and follow along basically as if you were a student in the semester. Um, there are 14 lectures. The first lecture was an hour long, but the second lecture was an hour and 45 minutes long. So it's it's possible there's like upwards of like 28 hours of free programming here. And so this it's is, pretty thorough. Yeah, it's oh, and, and, and it's it's oh, the dude is a great teacher. Um, he's very he's very personable, um, and he knows you know what he's doing he's done this for years and he is a great teacher he knows he knows what he's teaching and he knows how to teach so um it's it's a little basic um but that's also fine by me one thing that i'm trying to keep in mind is i really really want to knock out the basics um so i've 
I've watched a lot of different basics classes, and this is kind of a basics level class. There's definitely some programming required, but um, you know, knocking out the basics. And one thing that I'm super excited about is this class also focuses on Swift UI this semester. Um, so uh, that's something that I'm diving headfirst into because that is the future of UI development on iOS. So I want to know it. So I'll have a link to their website in the show notes as well. So that's awesome. Let's hear it for free education. Free education <laughs> is the best. Um, so thank you for listening. Um, if you want to share any feedback or questions or topic suggestions, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at Active Discourse. And we'll be back in August. Uh, we're ramping up for the rest of the year. Um, you know, Samsung has its event, and then Apple will have their event in September. Google will have an event in October, most likely. And there's consoles pending. There's a lot going on for the rest of the year. So um, we'll be back then. And until then, stay safe and take care. See you next time. Bye.